Jonah chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, uh, your word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. And we pray uh, that first and foremost that the light of your word would shine into our hearts, give us clarity about who we are and about who your son Jesus Christ is, and that then we would be directed to walk in your ways, to see you as the God of mercy and that we would become a merciful people. Many of us are tired this morning and distracted and burdened. I pray that you would give us clear heads to receive your word and open hearts, that we might be transformed and um, put our faith in you once more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, um, we preached from the same passage, and we saw um, about God's mercy uh, that extends as far down as you possibly can go. 
uh, away from the presence of the Lord. Um, and I, I realized that I didn't really explicitly talk about like what mercy actually is, <laughs> an oversight maybe on our part, maybe uh, on my part. I'm sure that you have some idea of what mercy is all about, but I think it's important that we say right up front what, what mercy is as we continue to look at this book that's all about the mercy of God. Um, usually, mercy means something like re relenting from just judgment or uh, not giving people what they deserve when they deserve um, punishment or loss in some way. It, it means treating the guilty with kindness or compassion in some way. That's the kind of the general way the word mercy uh, works in Scripture. Um, and last week we saw that despite Jonah's running from God, rebelling against him, uh, going down, 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 away from God's presence, uh, we found that you can't and uh, Jonah couldn't and that we can't outrun the mercy of God. God's mercy is available to us uh, even at the lowest points in our life uh, when we've gone far away from God, as far as we can possibly imagine. Uh, we looked at this man, Jonah, who's a prophet to the northern kingdom, to Jeroboam II, and uh, we remembered how Assyria, this, this empire, uh, was a threat to the well-being of Israel. And yet this is the very people that God had called Jonah to go preach to. Um, and yet he ran in the opposite direction. Uh, he tried to get away from God's call on his life. Um, and, and he ends up sinking in the middle of the ocean. And there God's mercy is available to him. And God kindly preserves his life through this miracle of a fish swallowing him. We'll talk more about that next week. Um, but God's mercy is there even in the depths of the ocean. And so um, I kind of ended last week just saying, you know, wherever you are, whatever you've done, however far away you thought, think you can get from God, God's mercy is still available to you. Um, and today what I want us to see uh, from this same chapter is that God's mercy is boundless. That's basically the message today, that God's mercy is boundless. There, there's no boundary to it. Um, it. It extends far beyond what we possibly can imagine. And we need to hear this message today, I think, for two reasons. Um, and one of the reasons we need to hear this today is because of the challenge of difference. And what I mean by that is that all of us uh, live uh, in relation to people that are different from us. And of course, as a society, part of what we deal with and we're struggling with as a, as a nation, as a, as a world, is the challenge, uh, the challenge of, of differences between individuals and also groups of people. And what is incredibly common for us as humans to do is to find our identity in some way that links us with some group that, um, that kind of otherizes uh, you know, people who are not part of that group. And what I mean by that is that as we find uh, our beliefs, our convictions, uh, whether it's in our thinking, that's where we find our identity, or it's in our nation or our region or our family or our political alliance, whatever, we all have different ways of having a sort of in-group identity, and that always creates an out-group. And how we treat that out-group um, is usually not well. <laughs> they, they are viewed as not us, as opposed to us, as a threat to us, as not as good as us in some way. And this is kind of the human condition. It's, what, it's what's driven much of history. Um, and this happens even in churches. It's not just an out there thing. It's an in here thing that um, a lot of religious groups, we, we see ourselves as the righteous people, as the good people. And so that justifies 
the mistreatment of others. Um, and of course, secularism has its own uh, response to this challenge. Um, it's the very common ideology today, which is you know, total inclusion. We should get rid of all that sort of binary thinking that there's an us and them, and we should just all be included in one big sort of happy uh, human family. But that, that has not really worked so well because it sort of overlooks that there are real differences between people. And it ends up um, otherizing those who name those differences and insist that those differences actually matter in the way we operate as a society. So there's this tension, this challenge of how do we deal with others? That's a, that's a, a looming question in our world today. And the mercy of God, the boundless mercy of God has a lot to say about that challenge. The second reason we need to learn about the mercy of God today being boundless is that we tend to have a very stingy view of God's mercy. This is natural for us. We think that God's mercy is rare. Um, we act like God's mercy is scarce. We act like God's mercy is only for some people or some types of people or that God's mercy is dependent on us in some way. And we think of God as sort of this uptight, angry, stingy, cranky person. Instead of what's obviously true in the story of Scripture and what this chapter shows us, which is that God loves to show mercy. In fact, he loves to show mercy way more than you or I. God loves to show mercy. It's who he is. And so today, um, this is the message that God's mercy knows no bounds. One of the looming questions that this book, this book of Jonah, ends with, uh, it's sort of implicit in the way that the narrative ends, is this question for you and for me as readers and as listeners to God's word, which is, does our character match the character of God? Are you like God who is boundless in his mercy? That's the question it leaves with us that we're to respond to as we study and meditate on this book. And if we're going to know God rightly and become like him, then we have to understand this boundlessness to God's mercy. So I want us to see three things today, that God's mercy extends beyond us, God's mercy extends despite us, and God's mercy extends all around us. And in the midst of all that, we're going to be wrestling with this question of the other. So first, let me just remind you of what happened in this chapter as we run through chapter one. It begins with Jonah receiving this call to go to the ultimate other, the, the wicked, evil Assyrian empire a key city there, Nineveh. He's to go there and preach about the coming disaster. And he runs, he flees, and goes in the opposite direction, getting on a ship, traveling to the outskirts of the known world, probably Spain, to Tarshish. And then we see that on this boat, Jonah faces this huge storm. The sailors become incredibly afraid because they recognize God's hand in this. This is not a normal storm. And they cry out to their gods, they abandon their cargo, they seek to get everyone on board to call out to their gods so that whoever might have offended God that's bringing the storm can placate him and they can live. And it's not working, so they cast lots because obviously people aren't fessing up, so they want God to, to identify who's the problem here. And the lot falls to Jonah, and so they say to Jonah, what's going on? What have you done? And he, he owns up to a certain degree, he says, it's me, I'm the problem. That sounds like... Taylor Swift. Uh, I didn't intend that, right? But uh, even after hearing this, that Jonah's the guy, they identify him. Um, they still say, well, we're going to try to outrun the storm. They try to row. It doesn't work. And finally, they give in and say, all we can do is 
toss this man overboard. That's what he says we have to do. They pray for God's mercy. They toss him, and the storm is calm. And it says the sailors convert. I'll look at that in a moment. The, the sailors actually come to fear God as a result of this. And then Jonah goes into the depths of the ocean, and he is saved. He's preserved by this fish. So that's the story again. And I want to um, kind of point out three things in this passage. Um, and the first is that God's mercy extends beyond us to the other. And I want to look at verse 16 in particular to see this. God's mercy extends beyond us to the other. Now, last week, I paid very little attention to the sailors. I kind of skipped over them. I didn't give them a lot of attention, but they have a big role in this passage. Um, Jonah goes down to Joppa, a city uh, that's probably in the Philistine region, uh, just west of, of Israel on the coast. It's a Gentile city. These are not Israelites that are sailing. Typically, Jews didn't do that. They had no reason to leave the promised land. This is a Gentile boat of pagan sailors. It's clear they're pagan because they obviously worship many gods or they believe in the existence of many gods. And so um, Jonah is encountering the very type of person that he's avoid going to preach to, right? He's supposed to go to Nineveh, two Gentiles. He ends up on a boat with different Gentiles. And what we see here is that God's mercy extends beyond the borders of his own people. Because at the end of this whole chapter, um, once Jonah is tossed overboard, it says that the sailors began to fear God. Um, and this is not just the sort of fear they had a moment ago when the, the storm was raging. It is a fear of the Lord type of fear. It is a faith and repentance type of fear. And we know that because it says they offer sacrifice to the Lord. This is an act of worship. They didn't just... Um, note, they didn't fear the Lord only when the storm was coming, and then once it was calm, they went on with their lives. They're safe now. They've, they've been brought through this ordeal, and then they cry out to God, and they, they begin to fear him, and they offer sacrifices of worship, and it says that they make vows. This is a, a, a way of expressing a commitment to permanently follow the God of Israel. And so what's fascinating about this passage is we see that God's mercy is on offer to all, not just the Jews, God's people, but to the Gentiles as well. And that's true even today, that God's mercy is offered not just to the people who gather in churches on Sunday, but to the whole world outside the visible church as well. And the reason this is important for us to see is that we tend to limit the scope of the availability of God's mercy to only certain types of people. This is the othering I was mentioning a moment ago. We all have this sort of uh, group identity that we see ourselves as sort of good people in some way, for some reason, nationality, politics, whatever, language, culture, and we're the, we're the good people. And those people out there, they are undeserving of God's, God's mercy. We put ourselves in the in-group, the good, and everyone else is outside. This is exactly what Jonah is doing. He sees the Ninevites as beyond God's mercy. Yes, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. We're the, we're the good people. We deserve God's mercy because that's who we are. But those people out there, they are not deserving of the mercy of God. Now, I've talked to a, a lot of people uh, in the South uh, living here now for 23 years or so. And one of the things I've heard over and over again from people is, um, is that they see themselves as imperfect, certainly. Yes, I'm, you know, I've got my problems, I've got my flaws, um, but I'm, I'm really trying to be a good person. And, and that's why God shows me mercy. Uh, because I'm, I'm one of the people that, yes, I admit my problems, but I'm, 
I'm a good person overall. I'm doing what I can. I'm trying my hardest. And doggone it, that's why God shows me mercy. But there's those people out there that are just, you know, evil. And those people don't deserve the mercy of God. That's kind of this sentiment. Nobody usually says it like that, but it's a sentiment that kind of undergirds the way that um, often uh, we think about ourselves. And that's not probably only true of the South, to be honest. That's probably true of a lot of places. Some people are just no good is the way we look at it. But um, the, the reality is that fundamentally misunderstands what mercy is. Because mercy is always, you know, favor and kindness shown to people who do not deserve it. There's not a, a category of people who deserve mercy in the Bible. Not us, not them, right? And we see that we have this attitude about some people deserving mercy and others not in, for instance, the way we think about forgiveness. Who deserves our forgiveness or God's forgiveness, right? Right? We often have these categories of, well, the people who deserve forgiveness are the people who put in the effort in their life, not the people who are entitled, or people who are generally good, but not the repeat offenders, or people who commit sort of understandable sins, but not the people who do the really scandalous sins, or um, the people who are tolerant, those people deserve mercy, but not the intolerant people, Uh, or maybe marginalized people deserve mercy, but not the privileged people, or maybe the poor deserve mercy, but not the rich, or maybe the rich deserve mercy, but not the poor, or maybe the clean people, but not the addicts, or the chaste people, but certainly not the promiscuous, or the moral people, but not the immoral. You get the point. We have this, this idea of those types of people are beyond the mercy of God, but I'm one of the sorts of people that, yes, I've, I've got my problems, but I deserve the mercy of All of us naturally divide the world into this us and them. And while we say we believe mercy is undeserved, we rule out the possibility of mercy for some types of people. Even if we say we know that we need mercy, we act as though we rightfully deserve it in a way that others do not. And at the bottom of this, friends, is simply just pride. That's all it is. It's just pride, just confidence in ourselves in some way, some dimension of who we are. And what we see in this passage is God's mercy is for the people that Jonah sees as other, as not important. But the whole Bible tells a story of God moving towards sinful humanity as a whole, this ultimate other. You know, we are not like God as a sinful humanity, all of us. And God moves toward us. Jesus Christ comes into the world. The only man that did not deserve to die, who walked on this earth, he went down into death for us. He went to the cross. He bears our sins on the cross so that anyone who believes in him can have God's mercy. He laid his life down for the other, for the undeserving, so that you and I can receive the mercy of God, can be forgiven, can be shown the kindness of God. If we really believe that and we understand that, then that message, that good news produces in us a number of things. It produces humility and solidarity with all sinners. The cross, friends, the cross of Jesus shows us of the universal need for mercy. Because what it shows us is that every single one of us deserves to die like Jesus did. All people, whatever we've done, whether we think of ourselves as generally good or the worst sinner, all of us deserve to die as Jesus did. Every situation you can think of, all backgrounds, all people, we belong on the cross. And Jesus bore that for us. And so all of us can look at the worst sinner that we know and say, yes, there are differences between us. I haven't done all the things that person has done. But at bottom, we both deserve the same 
end, which is death. Whether you're a terrible sinner because you're a predator in some way or a terrorist or a racist, I don't know what you think the worst sin is, but whatever you think that is, you deserve the same thing in the end that that person deserves, which is death. That's what the gospel tells us. It, it's the bad news before the good news, and it drives us to humility. But um, if we trust in the gospel, then the second thing this produces in us is an identity in Christ that is above everything else. We think of ourselves, before we think of our nationality, our ethnicity, our political group, our record, we think of ourselves as someone who has been shown mercy and therefore someone who is being transformed by the grace of God. And that thirdly leads into this life of growing maturity as we become like God, where we learn to treat the other with the same sort of mercy and love and hope that God has treated us with. We begin to show others mercy, not paying them back what they deserve. We begin to show them love that is seeking their good, and we, we have hope for them. What do I mean by that? I mean that we believe God can change them too. If he can change me, he can change them. And so and the jury's out on what God's going to do in their life, and I still have hope that God can show them mercy and bring change in their life. So the first thing I want us to see today is that God's mercy extends beyond us. And that means we need to be the sort of people that show mercy beyond the natural ways we might typically show mercy. But the second thing I want us to see today is that God's mercy extends despite us. And this, uh, this is a fun point, in my opinion. Uh, I, it makes me laugh a little bit to think about this one. God showed mercy to the Gentile sailors, brought them to conversion, despite Jonah in every way. Jonah rejected his call as a prophet, verse 3. He goes west when he's supposed to go east. He goes by sea when he's supposed to go by land. He goes to the outskirts when he's supposed to go to the great city of Nineveh. He tried as hard as he could to avoid being a missionary. He shows no concern for other people in the midst of a raging storm. They're crying out to God. They're trying to figure out what's going on. He's sleeping. No concern for them. Um, they ask him who he is once they cast lots. He um, proclaims with pride and hypocrisy and folly, I am a Hebrew, i.e. I am special. I fear Yahweh, despite the fact that he's running the opposite direction in every way. The God of heaven, of sea and dry land. If you're serving the God of sea and dry land, why are you trying to get away with them, from him on the sea? This guy is a terrible missionary. And yet, Jonah converts the sailors. He's awful. And yet, Jonah, despite himself, is the means by which God brings mercy to these Gentiles. And so what I want us to see here is that we overestimate our control um, over the conversion of other people. Um, now, I was in Panera this week, and I was getting really annoyed because as I'm getting my drink, I'm, kind of, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was getting annoyed because there's a guy walking up to people, striking up conversations, being polite, but basically just moving second sentence right into some sort of preaching the gospel to these people. Cashier, person getting a drink at the soda machine, Muslim family waiting to get their breakfast at a table, just walking up and, and sharing Christ sort of unapologetically, 
with very little concern to actually know who he's talking to. So I've, I've got concerns about that, but I was getting overly frustrated with this, right? Um, what this Muslim family, he says, oh, you're Muslim. Yeah, he asked them, do you go to church? They said, we go to, um, we go to a temple. What do they call it? Mosque, sorry. They go, we go to a mosque. Um, and, and so um, he's like, oh, great. Well, I know Muslims believe Jesus is a healer. I used to be paralyzed and then God healed me. And now I walk around. I don't have to take my medication anymore. And it just goes right into it. And I'm just like, whoa, you know, like, so this is not the way I'd recommend sharing our faith. And I was getting annoyed by this. Um, but I was also in chapel at my kid's school this week, and this guy was telling stories about doing similar sorts of things, about just kind of going up to people and sharing the gospel. And, and then he had testimonies of uh, a number of people that had come to Christ through this. And I'm kind of like, ah, that drives me a little nuts, but God uses that sort of thing to save people, despite whether or not that's the wisest way to go about it. Now, I'm not telling you that's what everybody here needs to go do, but, um, but maybe I shouldn't have been so annoyed by that. In fact, I should be just delighted that God uses poor missionaries, we, uh, not good missionaries, to share the gospel and to bring people into his kingdom, to show them mercy. You know, um, Jonah was very likely afraid of the call that God had given him, right? He was going to go to this very violent people. Um, and despite his fear, despite the offensiveness of God showing mercy to the Assyrians, dis despite his rebellion, God used him to bring these Gentile sailors to himself. And what this tells us is that God is going to show mercy on whom he will show mercy. Despite how bad you might think you are at sharing your faith, God will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. And we have an opportunity to either work in partnership with God or to miss out on what God is doing. And I think what this passage shows us is that it's better if we participate with what God is doing. He's going to do what he's going to do, but um, he invites us to join in, in that. Now, throughout the Bible, God takes people's failures and God even takes the evil that people commit, and he makes them the very means by which he shows mercy to his people. It's this amazing mystery of, of history and the work of God throughout history is that in Abraham and in Isaac and in Jacob and Joseph and in Israel and David, in all these situations, you see people being foolish or wicked or doing things they intend for evil, and yet God uses it to bring about mercy in his world for his people. And the cross is the, the pinnacle of this sort of paradox that what the world meant for evil, killing the Son of God, God used to show mercy to sinners. When the world resisted God to the point of killing him on a cross, God, through that very act, showed mercy to sinners. And so what this tells us is that we need to be participants in what God is doing. He, he created us to participate in the work of um, building a society to his glory, but he also invites us to be part of his redemptive work. Not that we atone for people's sins, but we proclaim the good news in broken ways, in inadequate ways, and yet God shows mercy through our proclamation. And, and we're invited to join into that and to, to see God use us to show mercy to other people. And if God's mercy can be extended to others despite you, even when you're trying to do the opposite, then how much more will God use you to extend his mercy when you decide to actively participate in what God is doing? And that leads us finally to this idea that we should have confidence in our mission. Evangelism today 
I will admit, is incredibly difficult. It's very hard. Um, it's not easy to share a faith. It's not easy to navigate all the questions and all the distrust that is there because of how flawed the church is or how flawed we are. And yet, the gospel is still going forth in the world. God is still, through broken churches, through broken Christians, showing mercy. And so um, we should have confidence that God can work through us. And that should give us boldness to actually share our faith with others, to invite them to church, to have them over and to ask questions and to talk to them. I think in maybe in a, a, a more respectful way than just walking up to strangers, but, um, but even there, in all our flaws, God uses us to bring mercy to other people. The third thing I want us to see is that God's mercy is all around us. God's mercy is all around us. God showed mercy through people that were not his people in this passage. The sailors throughout this passage are more virtuous than Jonah. That's, it's filled with these contrast throughout the, the, the story um, with this irony. In verses 5 and 6, and then also 7 through 11, we see the sailors showing more spiritual alertness, um, an, an act, uh, activeness, a, an openness to learning, a humility that Jonah does not display. They're concerned about what's going on. They're trying to um, preserve the lives of others. They're crying out to God. They're searching Lord, you know, God, we want to know what's going on. Why is this storm come? Jonah is completely indifferent to everybody else's well-being. He's sleeping. He doesn't care what happens to anybody else. They care about not just themselves, but others. Verse 13, they, they, uh, after they found out that it is Jonah that has brought the storm upon them, they don't just say, okay, let's kill this guy. Um, they, they try to save his life. They, they continue rowing harder to try to get out of the storm until they realize it's, it's not possible. They call out to God for mercy before they are spared. And even as they throw Jonah in the water, they're doing it with fear and trembling. Lord, please don't hold this against us. We know this is not good to take someone's life. In every way, they show themselves better than Jonah, so to speak. They, they commit their way to following him where Jonah has clearly not committed his way to following Yahweh. And so what, what I'm trying to show here is that the Bible paints a picture um, that is more complex than the way we tend to think about it, that we're the good guys and those out there are the bad guys. What we see here is that non-believers are sometimes more righteous than believers. God extends his mercy through all sorts of people and all sorts of things, not just the church, not just Christians. And many of us operate and believe that um, only you know, Christians can do good things in some way. Or only good can come from Christian things or Christian people. We got this secular, sacred divine uh, divide that leads us to be suspicious of anything that doesn't come from Christians and to assume anything that is Christian is somehow good and righteous. And that is not true at all. Jonah shows us this. All good things, we are told in Scripture, come from God, and God brings these good things through numerous sources not just Christians. Knowledge, insight, wisdom, skill, guidance, that can come from people who don't know the Lord. Provision, protection, hospitality, those things can come from people who do not know the Lord. People who are trustworthy, virtuous, honorable, those can be non-Christian people. This should completely eliminate this notion we have that if you're someone's a Christian or 
or somehow a church is always going to be more righteous than those who don't believe in Jesus. God's mercy is boundless, and he gives good things to his creatures in numerous ways through boundless means. He shows mercy to us as Christians through non-Christians. And so we should be people who receive the goods of culture um, and all sorts of goods, no matter what their source might be. So we've seen three things today. That God's mercy has, does, and will continue to extend beyond us to others. That God's mercy is extended despite us for others. And God's mercy extends around us from others. God is merciful to us. And therefore, we should be people of mercy. That is the question I said earlier that this book raises. Does my character match the character of God? Am I a vengeful person or a forgiving person? Am I someone who has compassion for those that suffer? Do I have animosity towards others and see them as beyond God's mercy? What person or group do you bear animosity towards? that you see as beyond God's mercy, that you refuse to see any good coming from whatsoever. This passage should blow that up. God's mercy is boundless. And God will show mercy on whom he shows mercy. He's going to take his mercy to the ends of the earth, to all nations, and we should join him in that project. And we should receive God's mercy from all the different ways it comes to us all around us. God is rich in mercy. Richer in mercy than you or I. He's not a crank. He loves to show mercy. So join him in that. And that begins by receiving God's mercy at this table. Um, that is where um, God shows us his mercy toward us and that he gave us his son to, um, to give us life and to cleanse us from all our sin. Uh, in this bread, we see this gift of God's son for us. In the cup, we see his life was poured out to, um, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This meal is a mercy meal. It is favor towards those who deserve judgment. And so I want to invite you to come in a moment and to feast on God's mercy so that you might become a person who shows mercy. Let's pray together.